Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up on today's episode, we break down a Jets win to kick off the road trip in L.A. and look ahead to a matchup against the Arizona State Coyotes. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rowicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rowicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. All right, let's get right to it here as we're past midnight, and I don't know if I'm sleep delirious or what's going on, but did I see that right? Did the Winnipeg Jets actually just win that hockey game? Like, that that wasn't a, a fever dream or anything like that? My God, I mean, talk about a rope-a-dope to the extreme. You know, I actually, it's funny because, I, ironic, earlier today I, I caught uh, watching The Simpsons on FX on TV, and... It was the episode when Homer becomes a boxer and he just takes beating after beating after beating all the way to the top. But instead of Mo Sislak parachuting in to save Homer and, and bring him to safety, it was, uh, yeah, let's just call it what it is. Some good old-fashioned luck and Connor Hellebuck that, that carried the Jets to two points in L.A. last night. So we'll break that down, one down quickly here before we uh, call it a night and call it a morning maybe even and head into the weekend. Um should mention quickly too, Tyson is not going to be on the episode today. Uh, lost his voice, bit of a sore throat, no COVID, thankfully, but uh, he's going to take the episode off, mainly because it's difficult to do a podcast when you don't have a voice. So we'll start with a team-wide breakdown here before we go into a little more player-by-player player in the second half of the episode here. And I guess if you really wanted to boil it all down to its most simplest elements... You, you could probably say, hello, bug, good, quick, bad, and and that's that's the way this game went, right? That, that kind of sums it all up there. I mean, when you give up three goals in a period and you're by far and away the best player on your side of the ice, it's, it's not going too well for your team. And that was a pretty eye-opening period, wasn't it? I mean, for any of us who were hoping that the dominance shown by the Jets in that game against the Blues would carry over into the first game of the road trip at Hollywood, you were sorely mistaken because that was not to be found anywhere throughout this game, especially that just disastrous, god-awful first period. I mean, just looking through my notes here, it started with wake up, then it said, good God, do something, turnover crazy, 
oh god it's still happening that was essentially my breakdown of the first period and then you know oddly enough with the way it ended there you could say you, you could start off by saying the jets were lucky to be only down by two or three or four goals in that first period and the way it ended you could say oh my gosh it's kind of unlucky that they're not tied right now in this game because they had a couple of open nets and a PK for the ages there to close out the frame like just a, a, a bizarre period but I mean really the takeaway from I mean it was the whole game but especially the first was just that the LA Kings came ready to play and the Winnipeg Jets really had no business being on the same ice as them I mean the Kings whether you want to go strategically what they were doing out there in terms of pressuring the Jets in certain situations, angling them away from the middle of the ice and, and really making it difficult for them to find outlet passes and get going the other way, or just boiling it right down to they, they looked like they wanted it more, right? Like they were on the forecheck, on the backcheck hard, skating all over the place. They, they just didn't give Winnipeg an inch. I, I mean, give LA a lot of credit for how they played in that game, minus Jonathan Quick. But, but the Kings looked really, really solid, and they just, it, it was pretty evident right off the drop that this was going to be an absolute battle for the Jets to try to be competitive in this one. And really, it, it got a little better as the game went along, but the biggest issue for this team so far this season may, might have reached its tipping point in that first period. And that's just, this team is just hell-bent on turning the puck over inside their own end. It's it's crazy. It, it's bizarre because in years past, the defensive issues for this team, I think, were more structurally based. It would be things would break down so magnificently that you were just kind of left at a loss for words as to how, like, what was the direction for how this team should play inside their own end. I don't think it's as bad this year. I think the team is taking steps in the right direction structurally. It's just when they get the puck on their sticks at an opportunity to get moving, it, it more often than not ends up on the opposition's blade than it does even just to chip off the glass and out of the zone. It's just crazy how how poor they've been maintaining puck possession and, and just trying to string a couple of passes together. It was just all over the place in that first against the LA Kings. I mean, I don't know how many times you guys were counting this. There were three instances of the team blindly just firing it up the middle of the ice. Like, not even looking, just, just hey, let's throw it right down Royal Road and, and see what happens. And it ends up being, you know, a Clodewell pizza pass going back the other way there. It, it was it was mind-boggling. They might have reached double digits in terms of blind passes across the middle of the ice. It's it's obviously me saying it's got to change is, you know, not, not going to be some revelation in terms of breaking down a hockey contest. But it, it's just got to get light years better. And, and maybe... Maybe the baby step is just, hey, let's get it out of our zone and, and try to skate down a puck first. Like, let's do that before before we try to attempt a handful of passes to get the puck going the other way in transition. So that still remains this team's biggest concern moving forward is just do they have enough guys to to get the puck out of their own end cleanly to try to get some offense going back the other way. So that, that's how it kind of broke down in the first and then from that point onward. But, you know, heading into the second period, you're maybe thinking, you know what? Hey, we're lucky to get out of there down two. 
We had a couple of, or sorry, we were lucky to get out of there down one, let alone two goals. We had an opportunity to, to tie the game, even going into the first intermission. Maybe the Jets will just say, you had a bad start. Let's essentially start over and we can try to take over this hockey game. That, that was the hope. And the first note I made was, it's still awful early on in the second period as well. That was the hope. It was extinguished quickly about the first shift five seconds in, where it was even more pressure by the LA Kings over. And it was just wave after wave after wave of attack by by the Kings. But, hey, that's that's, that's why you pay Connor Hellebuck the big bucks, right? He, he earned his pay in that one. And that's why he's probably going to make $10 million on his next contract. He was just so, so damn good all night long. I mean, when you... When you, when you end up with 40-plus saves and you give up four goals, your, your, your goaltender did more than his fair share of getting you the two points. Um, but it, it did, you know, to the Jets' credit, got a couple of good breaks in the first. They got another, I thought, good break in the second period as well. They, they did slowly start to turn the tide a bit. I, I, I thought in the, in the latter half of the second period, okay, maybe the Winnipeg Jets will find a way to take over this game. You're in a good position go out there and, and win a period, right? You're up by one, but hey, go out there, win a period. You can pretty much erase the bad taste out of your mouths from the previous 40 minutes, and away we go here. And then you have, just when you thought the turnovers were over, an, an all-timer from PLD to get the game tied up about six, seven, eight minutes into that third period. And and from that point on, it was, oh boy, here we go again, right? But but maybe the biggest positive out of this whole game, that maybe the only one you could take, to, to be quite honest, outside of Hellebuck being a, a goaltending god, was that the bottom six really did come to play here. And, and we'll get into some of the individual contributions. But a couple of strong shifts, strong back, you know, two, three, four shifts in a row by the bottom six there. And they worked their asses off and they're able to get, a, a you know, another lucky break to an extent. A nice tip. By the flow god himself, AJF. And, of course, the Winnipeg Jets also find a way to win it by two. Also funny that, you know, you get that power play gifted by an idiotic Brendan Lemieux penalty. Um, take a drink if you heard that one before. But, <laughs> of course, the Jets have a power play. And then immediately get peppered with a few grade-A scoring chances by the LA Kings penalty kill there. Uh, but, yeah, of course, the Winnipeg Jets find a way to win that one by two goals in a game where they were outshot. Not two to one, but three to one. <laughs> so you look, there's no were there a, a positive or two to take out of it? Like I mentioned, yes, so some minor ones. But again, let's not kid ourselves. The Winnipeg Jets were insanely fortunate to not only win that hockey game, to be in that hockey game in, in the final frame. They just got completely out out outplayed, outclassed, dominated. Whatever you want to say, the LA Kings were were certainly the more deserving team. To grab the two points on that night. The, the, the crappy part for me is it, it, it puts a damper on some of the optimism after that Blues win, right? It was may, maybe the team has turned the corner here. We'll, we'll see some consistently strong play from this group and we'll feel good about where things are heading into November. And, and that's not the case despite picking up four points against two solid teams, right? So I, I'm not going to, you know sit here and criticize it too much, but it it, it does, it, it certainly takes a ton of wind out of the sails for, for anybody that was hopeful this might be a different team. Still a lot of runway to go, still a lot of games to play. You might look back at this one and laugh by the end of the year, uh, but certainly 
I could think you could categorize this as maybe not one step forward, two steps back, but one step forward, one and a half steps back. You know, was wasn't completely catastrophic because you get the two points, but uh, lordy or oh lordy, let's make sure we don't have uh, another one of those efforts coming up for the rest of this road trip. Because I'll tell you what, you do that in Vegas, yeah, you're uh, you're gonna be rolling snake eyes. It's not gonna be a, a four three split on the craps table. So smarten up a little bit here, Jets, and, and let's find a way to uh, end the road trip on a high note here. And um, we'll see. Hopefully, the the middle match of this three game trip will be. Uh, Smoother sailing than the one we saw out there against the LA Kings on Thursday night. So we'll break down some of the player-by-player contributions to the game and then look ahead to this absolute gong show of a matchup Friday night for the Winnipeg Jets. We'll do that in just a sec. But quickly, let's give a shout-out to our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL with a big deal on tap for you guys to take advantage of. And also maybe a way for you to chip away, make some small wins, maybe turn some of those small wins into bigger wins. We snowball, all of a sudden we're looking good, feeling good, headed into the weekend. Same game parlays, if you haven't tapped into that yet on DK Sportsbook, combine multiple bets together, like which team will win, who will score, how many, and you get a shot at an even bigger payout, but there is an absolute doozy of a deal on tap for you guys to take advantage, and here it is. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game, and get $200 in free bets if they do. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply, See show notes for more details. So, which players stood out positively, negatively? Well, 95% of the team, I would say, gets a negative grade on on the night when you get absolutely slaughtered on the shot clock like that. I think it's fair to say that there were more Jets playing poorly than there were ones playing strongly. Um, I guess the biggest concern for me, right, because, look, you know, Shifley and Connor didn't have their best game. You know, Cole Perfetti didn't have his best either. I think he's been strong, though, pretty damn solid through through the first, you know, nearly 10 games of the season for the club. Not not super concerned there, right? Like, there, there's some guys that had bad games that you're not too worried about. Maybe the biggest concern for me would be the team's third pairing on the night. I mean, there, there's no way to sugarcoat it. I mean, Dylan Sandberg just had himself an awful game. I think by far his worst game as a pro. It was was just a nightmare from from the first shift in the first period. The first period was by far the worst. I mean, it was was a little less bumpy after that. But, oh boy. I mean, a a 22% Corsi and expected goals for. Five shots for. 17 against in the game. He only played a little over 10 minutes as well. I think Scott O'Neill correctly made the right call to... uh, pulled back the time on ice for the kid just just knowing that he you know it was a rough one the team wasn't playing good and, and he wasn't ready to go and I mean he was at fault for I guess it would have been the the side of the second or the third goal in the first one of those you know blind just throw it up the middle passes that was easily picked off by the Kings you know uh, there there was a shift I think it was on the first goal for for LA where you know he goes back to get the puck he's there first 
And instead of trying to make a play with the puck, it's just jam it up against the board, right? Like, And that's some of the issues this team has had where, you know, either the passes are brutal or poor decisions with the puck as well. The Kings are able to pry it free, and that eventually leads to the opening goal of the night there. And then, you know, kind of getting lost in coverage as well. It was it was just a really, really rough night for the kid. Um, he's better than that. I think that's fair to say. I think we've seen him play at a much, much higher level. You know, even doing so with more responsibility. So I think I think there's hope that that's just kind of a one-off. We'll see how he rebounds and responds against the Coyotes. Not not overly concerned about Sandberg necessarily. To to me, the most concern definitely lies with his partner right now. Because I'm I don't know what's going on with Dylan Demello right now. It's it's not the same steady defenseman that we've kind of grown accustomed to seeing here in Winnipeg on the back end these past few seasons. I I know he doesn't always get the easiest tasks, right? Like, I mean, he's either playing with Morrissey on the top pair or he's trying to shepherd a young defenseman beside him. You know, hey, that's that's why you get paid money. That's why you head into the NHL there. I, I get it's not always the most enviable position that he's put in, but he he just, he's not... All those little, steady, quiet, subtly smart plays that he's made in the past are just not there right now. And we're seeing a guy that, you know, doesn't have a ton of physical tools really get exposed by the speed and the pace and the physicality of the opposition so far this season. It's I think it is, for me, it's concerning. There's some slow starts where you can say, ah, let's see where things are at after 15, 20 games. I'm kind of pressing the panic button a little early here on on Dylan DeMello. You know, players age differently. We've seen, I mean, on this team alone, we've seen guys perform and, and kind of, you know, go on an upper trajectory into their 30s. We've seen other guys drop off mid to late 20s. You know, Dylan DeMello's kind of at that scary age for, for any player in the NHL nowadays. 29 going on 30, going on 45, right? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm always I'm always a little weary of of players that you know don't have great wheels and great hands. You know what I mean? Just when when you rely so much on your smarts, if you take a step back physically, it could be tough for you to to still be an effective player out there. Uh, I, I we'll have to see how this plays out, but I, I certainly have. Some doubts that we're going to see the same Dylan DeMello that we had seen here in Winnipeg the past few seasons. Hopefully I'm wrong, but there's there's a lot of warning signs and alarm bells going off in my head here on this one. We'll see if they can, uh, Sandberg and DeMello, perform at a much, much higher level against uh, lesser opposition uh, Friday night in Arizona. Um, in terms of who stood out in a positive way, again, not, not a whole lot on this one. I mean, we already talked about Connor Hellebuck. Got a Hellebuck's playing like a top three goalie in the NHL right now. Um, early Vesna, <laughs> early Vesna candidates. He's going to be amongst them. He was, he was fantastic. He even made a great play with the puck on his stick. Up one late in the third period. There kind of gave me, uh, you know, it's like, hey, he's up there, buddy. You know, everything's going well right now. We don't need you handling the puck. But he made a nice play with that, and he was just he was just tremendous all night long. It, it's it's fun watching him because he makes it look when Hellebuck's on. He makes it look so, so easy. Like like any goalie could do that. But he, he just made so many tremendous saves on the night. And and on the goals he was beaten on, I mean, they were either tremendous shots 
or some fortunate deflections that found their way behind him. But make no mistake about it. If, if Connor Hellebuck was average on this night, the Winnipeg Jets might have lost this game 7 8 9 6. He, 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 was, he was that good where giving him four goals was a pretty outstanding effort on his part. So Connor Hellebuck, once again, was tremendous. But I, I think we got to give some love to the bottom six. I, I was kind of concerned going into this one because LA's bottom six last year and, and early this year has been one of their strengths where the depth that they have up front has given teams fits. But those were the best players on the night for Winnipeg. I mean, I think Adam Lowry's line was the best of the bunch. And, and Lowry, for me, was the best skater that the Jets had in this one. I think, you know, we could point to some of the shifts that they had in the third period would, would kind of help to slowly turn the tide for the Jets in terms of, you know, once L.A. got back into it, all even at four, they were the ones to kind of kickstart the team and eventually led to the game winner by the fourth line there. But I thought Lowry was tremendous. I mean, Sam Gagne has kind of steadily been sneaky good all year long. And I'll, I'll give some credit to Men, uh, Saku Menelainen. You know, Menelainen had himself a really good game as well and even earned a couple of shifts up there on the second line with Cole Perfetti stapled to the bench in the last 10 minutes of the third period there. So the, the third line was really, really strong. And then the fourth line had themselves maybe their best game of the season, all capped off by that outstanding shift that led to the game-winning goal. I mean, Janssen Fjallby was all over the place. He, I mean, he doesn't... He's funny to watch, right? Like he forecheck. He, he reminds me of rookie Brandon Tanev, where he, he all energy, all speed. Not totally sure where he's going, where the puck's going, but it's 110 percent and hang on to your hat, right? Like that, Axel. Axel's a fun guy to watch, but but Gustafson. I mean, what he was able to do there down low, pickpocketing Blake Lazat, pushing him to the ice, throwing the puck head back up to the point there. That's that's the prototypical gust shift that that Chevy. That the head coaches, that fans, all everybody wants to see out of him. That's what's going to make him a really, really effective NHL player. That sequence right there, and he helped to kickstart the game-winning goal for the Jets. So I'll, I'll give a little bit of love to the bottom six in this one. When, when the top lines weren't necessarily performing, it was the bottom six that actually held their own and helped push the Jets to a 6-4 victory over the LA Kings. So that'll do it for the game against LA. Coming up next, I'll be honest, I have no idea what the hell to expect in the Coyotes' home opener at, that's right, Mullet Stadium, Mullet Arena, whatever the hell it's called, Mullet Square Garden. We're going to see the Winnipeg Jets take on the Arizona Coyotes in a freaking college arena with under 6,000 people paying to watch the game live. I, I still can't believe this is a thing. And I'll, I'll say this. I, I, I said this on Winnipeg Sports Talk when I hopped on there Thursday afternoon. And, and you've heard me mention this on, on the pod before. This Some people are kind of like laughing and kind of making it lighthearted, this whole situation the Coyotes are in. Some people are saying, hey, you know what? The atmosphere inside the arena is going to be great. I, I don't want to hear any of that. This is such... A, a monumental embarrassment and shame and number two show clown whatever whatever you want to say this is just awful for the NHL there is literally nothing positive that will come out of this I I think it's a complete embarrassment the league should be embarrassed they they apparently aren't 
I don't know what Gary Bettman, like what what deal he made with some kind of, I, I don't know. I, I just don't get the NHL's insistence on trying to make Arizona a thing. But but this to me should have been the absolute strike three. We're, we're, we're just not doing this anymore. We're like a freaking college arena. And I've made this point before, but how fast do you think the Winnipeg Jets would have been yanked out of Manitoba if they even entertained the thought of practicing at, at, at the wreck in Selkirk, right? Or, hey, we're, we're going to have a game or two at Highlander Arena while we try to figure things out with what's going on at Canada Life Center, right? Like, they, they would be in Houston so freaking fast, yet we have this clown show going on in Arizona night after night, culminating in this embarrassment of actually having professional hockey being played at a rink that that shouldn't even be entertaining practices. It's 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 just so far beyond ridiculous. And, and my main hope from this game is is one that the Jets absolutely spank and humiliate the Coyotes on home ice, grab a nine one victory and all that. But I I really hope the players and I I know players in the NHL are, are notoriously you know conservative with speaking out and, and risk averse and everything like that. I hope the players and the coaches just beat the crap out of the conditions they're being put under in Arizona. I, like don't don't hold back at all, because it, they they should they should embarrass the league in this. They really should. Like if you saw any of the pics or the videos today of of where the Winnipeg Jets are going to be suiting up in their I can't even call it a dressing room, quote unquote dressing room just open space and and silver bars everywhere it's it's so ridiculous the the players should absolutely lambaste the conditions they're being asked to play it because it's it's bush league it's just so bush league bother this bothers me so much because we and i think especially people here in winnipeg and in certain markets in canada when, when you saw the jets ripped away from us in the first place when you see the quebec nordiques moved out down to colorado they were shipped out of town for much, much less. Hell, the Atlanta Thrashers, the Atlanta Hockey has had two teams move for lesser transgressions than what we're seeing out there in the desert right now. It's such a freaking joke. I hope Arizona gets embarrassed night after night starting Friday by the Winnipeg Jets, and then I hope they pick fourth after finishing dead last and losing the draft lottery. Or, or they take the Russian kid and he never comes over. Well, one of those two things. I just, everything about the Coyotes, it, it's it's the absolute microcosm of why people dislike Gary Bedman and his reign as commissioner so much. When you have such a clear black hole sucking all the positivity and professionalism out of your league, it was just staring you right in the face, and you just keep pumping more and more and more into it. And you're getting no dividends. It's it's just the the epitome of not cutting your losses and and just moving on because we know there's a handful of cities, even even in the states, there's a handful of cities that could support an NHL team better than the circus that we've seen in Arizona these past few seasons. So let's hope the Jets embarrass the Coyotes themselves while the NHL embarrasses themselves in the process as well. Uh, but that's where we'll leave it for the episode today. It's almost 1 o'clock, so it's time for me to try to grab a couple hours of sleep before we uh, head into a Halloween weekend here. So 
Thanks so much for stopping by and listening to another episode of Skates and Plays here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Verwicki. We'll get back at it on a Tuesday morning, looking back at the rest of the road trip for the Winnipeg Jets, including matchups in Arizona, in Vegas, and then look ahead to the week that's on tap for the club after that. Until then, though, stay safe. Enjoy your Halloween weekend, everybody. Peace.